All right, so I am. We are in the second week of this I am teaching series, and, uh, and so basically this is the way this whole thing works. Hopefully, uh, if, if any of you are here for the whole series, that video that we just watched, you'll be able to know all seven of those phrases. Seven different times in the Gospel of John, which is a biography about the life of Jesus. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus makes this, this statement, and some of them were a little bit outrageous, especially in the times he was living in, and we're getting into all that, but he says this. He says, I am blank. And seven different times he fills in that blank with a different word. Like last week we saw the first one in John chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so it was great just to learn a lesson about Jesus and who he is and what that means to us. And so today we're stepping into this, this second I am statement. Um, this week I came across an article online and it said this. It said that, uh, it was kind of the, the header, two-thirds of Americans are unhappy. That was, that was the statistic. And I mean, I know statistics and I know this about statistics, like 78% of them are completely made up for articles. So I don't know if that's like a real statistic, but the fact that uh, that many people are unhappy, whether it's two thirds or even just one third, that's sad, right? Like why are people so unhappy? That's not really what grabbed my attention though. It was, it was kind of another headline on the thing. And it was this, the whole point of the, of the, of the article was this, that there's often things that we wish that we could be doing that we aren't doing. There's often things that we know we should be doing that we choose not to do. And the reason, according to this article, that two-thirds or however many percent of Americans are unhappy is because of this. We are willing to settle for less. That's the phrase I want you to kind of burn in your head. We're willing to settle for less. Now, I kind of read through the article and, and some things jumped out at me. Let me explain to you how this works. I mean, this happens to you all the time. It happens to me, at least. I go to uh, like a restaurant, for example. I picked up the menu. I see this thing that I was like, oh, that's what I got to have. Oh, man, I got to have that thing. You know that thing? Your mouth is watering. You're ready for lunch right now. I got to have that thing. But then there's something that makes me choose not to get it. It's like, maybe it's like $3 more than I wanted to spend. I'm kind of like, man, I'm eating on a budget right now. Or, or maybe it's like a couple more calories than you wanted to eat. Or maybe you're on a diet or maybe whatever reason. And you're like, so you order the other, other thing. You, you settle for less. And then this is what happens, inevitably. They bring you your food and you're eating it. You're like, I mean, it's all right. And then like the person over there, they've got that thing that you wished that you would order. And you're like, I should have gotten that, right? Or it's the thing that happens when you go to the store and you want your favorite soda, for example, and they can't find it. So you're like, you know what? I'll just get the store brand. And you get the store brand, but does the store brand soda taste like your favorite soda? You, I, don't, I don't care how many times you try to tell me that Dr. Perky is the same thing as Dr. Pepper, but it's not. Like the, the, the letters might be similar. The color of the can might be the same. But it's not, right? You settle for something less, and then you spend the whole time going, Man, if I think about it like a summer day, maybe it'll taste like Dr. Pepper, but it doesn't, right? Or, you know, it's the thing. You're in a rush. You're at the grocery store. You know you got to pick up some toilet paper, so you're standing there in the aisle, and you're like, you go to default mode, which is get the cheap thing, right? There's one thing in this life you don't need to cut corners on, people, all right? right? But you, but, and, and you regret it. You're like, oh, I settled for something less. So you following me? Now you can understand why people are unhappy, right? Because we settle for something less. And this idea of settling for something less, it was crazy, because as I read the article, it hit perfectly with the thing that Jesus says this week. Uh, not about people being unhappy, which that's something that Jesus does do a lot about, but the settling for something less, because not only is it true like commercially or in economy or maybe in relationships, unfortunately, but it's true spiritually. So often we're willing to settle for something less than what God is promising us. 
Every week we look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And this week we're going to continue in the Gospel of John. Remember I said earlier, John is, is a biography about the life of Jesus. In fact, if you want to see a fairly chronological picture of like the three, three and a half years of ministry that Jesus did on earth, the book of John is the place to go. And the style of John is so easy to read. And, and the concepts that he talks about, John was, he was a fisherman. And he spoke every man's language. And so I love the book of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, go and flip over there to John. Uh, it's going to be in that last third of your Bible, the book of John. We've also got some Bibles on the floor if you maybe forgot to bring one or don't own one. And I want to tell you, if, if you need a Bible of your own, uh, keep that one on the ground. It's yours. Make sure it's not actually your neighbor's Bible. Don't take their Bible. But if it's a free one, take it. We'll also have the, the scripture on the screen behind me. Let me give you a little bit of context as we jump in, because really Jesus' story just kicks off fast, okay? So, so hang on tight. But this is what's happened. Last week in our story, Jesus was up in a northern region called Galilee. Galilee is this area he was doing ministry in. And this week, by chapter 8, he has come down to the southern city of Jerusalem. It's like the capital metropolis of the area. Galilee, super rural, a lot of farmers and shepherds and fishermen. Jerusalem, a lot of, uh, a lot of like... Um, city type business okay so you're in the city he comes down for this feast called the feast of tabernacles it's an annual uh holiday in the jewish calendar and it was basically like a harvest celebration uh, all families who did you know agricultural stuff they, they would celebrate the harvest by taking a whole week off they built kind of like this little tent hut shack thing called a tabernacle and they would just kind of camp out for a whole week it'd just be a whole week of festivities sounds like a lot of fun jesus has gone down to jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the tabernacles and so while he's there he's doing what we've seen Jesus do so far. We saw it last week. He's making these speeches. He's giving teaching lessons. And people are listening to him, and they're really tuning into what he's saying. But in a way that typically happens when people give big speeches. There are the people who agree with what you're saying, and there are the people who would rather you just go away and never come back, right? That's kind of the two dynamics when someone gives a big popular speech. Jesus hits this dynamic, and he's aware of it. And he addresses it as it culminates in John chapter 8. And we're going to be in John chapter 8 in verse 12, if you want to kind of scan down or scroll down on your device to, to verse 12, and he just kicks it off with the statement that we're going to stick on all day. All right, this is it. It's two sentences. Here we go. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. We talk a lot about light here. We played the silly game. Some games go better than others, right? So there was a silly, you know, Pictionary game this morning, and, 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 but we talk a lot about light every single week. Normally, the last thing I say is, hey, guys, let's go shine light in dark places. That's like one of our call sign phrases that we go to. We spent three weeks of, about a month or so ago going through a series called Lamp Lighters uh, and the idea that we are to shine God's light into the world. So light is this huge theme and we see it all throughout the Bible and that's why we talk about it so often. And so Jesus makes this statement right here, I am the light of the world. But in case you aren't familiar with a lot of the passages in the Bible about God's light and what it means to the world, or maybe you are, but you just need a refresher, let's just look at a couple of those things that we've covered a lot. Uh, first of all, we'll look at John. John, the same book that we're in, in chapter 8. We're going to fast forward to chapter 1. The same guy, John, who is one of Jesus' best friends, he says this about Jesus. Through him, all things were made. We're talking about creation here. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Once again, you see the parallel between life and light 
And then in verse 5, this has been a passage, honestly, that I have clung to in my darkest moments. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Light always wins in darkness. That's in John 1, uh, 3 through 5. Uh, so there's Jesus, and he's the light of all mankind. But then he, he, he comes down here to show God's glory, but while he's here, he creates this pathway for mankind to find a way back to him. There's lots of different places where we hear teaching about that, but I want to read one of them right now. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to some Christians who live uh, in a place called Ephesus. And so he says this about them. For you, and by the way, This could be just as easily written to us, the church at Wilmington, right? Listen to this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Paul recognizes, like, this is a metaphor. The light-dark thing is a metaphor. What is light? He says here, goodness and righteousness and truth. And he says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Once again, light exposing darkness and Jesus inviting us into this thing that he came to do. I am the light of the world. You were once darkness, but now you are light, so expose the darkness yourself. And then this really comes out, this is one of my favorite things Jesus says, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He says this to people who believe in him and follow him. You are the light of the world. Isn't that interesting? He just said, I am the light of the world. But then he looks at us and says, and now you are the light of the world. And that way we reflect God's light. Listen to the second half of that. See, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds, what you're doing, and glorify your Father in heaven. So the purpose of God giving us the ability to shine light is not so that we can receive glory or so that we can get a pat on the back or so that we can make the world a better place, which all those things can happen. But the reason he gives us the ability to shine light is so people will see what we do and they give glory to God in heaven. That's the whole goal, giving glory to God. And so with that as a foundation, like I said, we talk a lot about light, but I, wanna, I want us to understand this is not just Jesus expanding on a metaphor. He's actually getting down to the root of what it means for him to be the light. And it's helpful knowing that as we move into the rest of chapter eight, okay? So this crowd is gathered around Jesus. He stands up and says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. And like in any crowd, the crowd is somewhat divided. There are people who agree with him and there are people who disagree with him. And we're gonna hear from both of them in chapter eight. If you look at verse 13, we first hear from the crew of people who disagree with them. Let's meet them, let them introduce themselves to this first statement they say. So the Pharisees challenged him. They say, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not even valid. They're kind of calling into question Jesus' whole statement. I'm the light of the world. They're like, prove it. Prove it. Your testimony is not even valid. Let's meet the Pharisees a little bit. The Pharisees were the leading political party in in Jerusalem and in Jewish culture at this time, and they did not like Jesus. One of their biggest hallmarks was their love for strict adherence to the Jewish law, their, their, their religious code. And anyone who thought any differently than them, they would be like, you are just not one of us. You're not one of God's people. We don't like you. Well, Jesus comes along, and you know what he's doing? He's hanging out with broken people. He's hanging out with sick people. He's hanging out with people who are like, have bad parts of their life, sinners, prostitutes, alcoholics, people with bad, messed up marriages. Like these are the people he's hanging out with and these Pharisees don't like Jesus. He's like, why are you spending time with them? They don't, they don't have a strict adherence to the law. So they're, they're arguing with Jesus. And they step up and they say, your testimony is not even valid. Now what's crazy is the Pharisees had a goal, which was to do good. 
If I had to boil down their whole philosophy, it would be do right. Live life by the book. Why? They would tell you it was because that's what God wants us to do. I mean, it'd be pretty easy to agree with that, right? God wants us to do good. Sounds like a good sentence. I'm not going to disagree with it. It's a good sentence. But what's ironic is Jesus is standing in front of them. He's saying, look, you want to do good? You want to do good? Check this out. Follow me. If you follow me, you will never walk in darkness. And here he is, God in the flesh, talking to them, and they say, prove it. Now, I'm not going to throw them under the bus too much um, because I think the Pharisees, a lot of us, we could relate to them. Because they're just trying to do what they think is right, right? Don't you think that's what most people try to do? I try to do what I think is right. And they believed that living life exactly by the book and then looking down on anyone else who didn't get it right, that that was doing right. The problem was that nobody's perfect. And so no one can live up to those standards. And Jesus, even that was kind of his point. You can't live up to those standards. That's why I'm here. And so this quest for being good became their whole faith system. Instead of a quest for seeking God, they weren't seeking his presence. These guys are sitting here looking at God in the flesh, telling them, I am the light of the world. Follow me, and I can give you the thing that you're trying to achieve. And all they can think of is, man, it's just a waste of time. He's coming in. He's throwing a wrench in our whole system. He's, he's, we don't like it. We don't have time for this. And so here's what they're doing. They're settling for something less. They're settling for a sense of religious self-righteousness when Jesus is offering them the, chain, the chance to never walk in darkness again. I'm telling you, you can actually let up on your law a little bit if you can learn just to live the way that I'm teaching you. And they settle for something less. And they doubted him just because they thought they had it all figured out. And I think it's important for us to take a step back and just be like, could that be me? I think I got it all figured out. I think I know exactly how to live my life. I don't need anybody else speaking into my life right now. I definitely don't need God putting a stick in the mud in my life because, man, I got it figured out. And the result is we end end up settling for less than the thing that God is offering us. And so they say, give us proof. Give us proof. And I love verse uh, 27. Jesus kind of is like, I don't need to give you proof. By the way, if you were here last week, you know, Jesus is like going proof out the wazoo, okay? He's like miracle after miracle after miracle. He's preaching and teaching from the Old Testament like no one had ever done before. If anything, these people should be like, wow, how do I get on this guy's train? But they're like, give us proof. And so he kind of settles on this in verse 27. He said, I tell you what, when you lifted up the son of man, quick interpretation, son of man is a nickname for Jesus, lifted up is him being put on a cross, okay? When you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. In other words, he's, he's talking about his own crucifixion, and he's saying, listen, I'm sorry you don't believe me now, but there's going to be a day soon when you're not going to be able to deny me because I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to bring life back to people who are spiritually dead. That's kind of where he leaves that conversation. And we meet the Pharisees a lot of other times in John and other places. They weren't convinced, but I'm pretty pumped because in verse 30, we find out that other people were convinced. Look at verse 30, just a little sentence. But even as he spoke, many believed in him. So he spoke to that crowd, the Pharisees. These are the people who are kind of skeptical. They don't want to get on his bandwagon. But then there's another crowd there, and these are the people who have been following Jesus. Some of them might have been the ones who have kind of been following him up in Galilee that we met last week. They might have followed him down there. In fact, in the text it said that some of them had gone ahead for the festival. And they're like, come on, Jesus, we're going to the festival. And so some of them have been listening to him teach for a while and had found some faith in him. And so he turns from the skeptics to the people who are kind of following him. 
verse 31. He says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold my teachings, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciple. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You ever heard that phrase before? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's become part of our language. I mean, it's just a cliche thing people say. I've heard it in movies and read it in books and hear people say it all the time. So when you hear Jesus say, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free, it might just kind of roll off of our backs because it's just kind of like, it's just a cliche. It's just a turn of a phrase. But it's interesting because the Jews who hear this, they take it super literally. They hear him say, you will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. And so listen to this when he says in verse 33. They answer him, wait, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They kind of get confused. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? We're not slaves. Which, this next little section is confusing to me, because if, I, if I'm reading Jewish history correctly, the descendants of Abraham were slaves a couple different times, but maybe they're just talking about themselves personally. We've, we've never been slaves, which is also kind of interesting, because they're like, they're, they're, uh, the Roman government is kind of ruling them right now, so they might not be slaves, but they're not 100% free, but whatever mindset they have, they're like, we're, we're good. We're in control of our own lives. What is this set you free stuff? You're talking about Jesus. I don't understand. And Jesus is kind of like, oh, well, I'm glad you asked. So keep reading in verse 34. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is, this is spiritual slavery. Not slavery to the Babylonians or the Egyptians or to uh, you know, some other group of people, but slave to something spiritual. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And if you've ever dealt with you know, a, a struggle, a, a, uh, a temptation, an addiction, something that just weighs you down heavily spiritually, then you probably resonate with what Jesus is saying here. Sin holds us, holds us captive. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul says that this sin becomes our master. And until we decide to pledge our allegiance to a new master, sin becomes our master. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you will live like I'm teaching you to live and become my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. These people didn't realize it, but they had been settling for something less. You know what they settled for? The sense that they were in the right group, I think, I mean, as I look through it. First of all, they're following this group of people who are, who are following Jesus, and, and they're saying, you know, well, I mean, these people follow Jesus. Yeah, we're in this crowd. This is a good thing. I've got confidence in that. I've got faith in that. And then they've got their faith in the fact that they're children of Abraham, which for a Jew is a really big deal. But they're kind of settling for something less because Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I am the light of the world. If you know me, you will never walk in darkness and you won't even have to worry about the darkness of your slavery to sin. And so, so that's the scene, okay? Uh, if you read the whole thing, which I totally encourage you to do, it can get kind of confusing. And that's why I decided not to read every single sentence because they kind of go back and forth and they got a lot of banter. But here's what I found is this is kind of the way that we do. We, we approach God and, and, he, and there's like a simple truth and it's profound and it's important to our lives. And then we're just like, yeah, but I got more questions. I got more questions. I got more questions and that's okay. Questions are good. In fact, we always say this is a place, you know, this, this church family is a safe place to have our questions. But at the bottom line, Jesus is saying, look, I, I've got answers. And it's found in me. He wants to show them that the way to spiritual healing, the way to have the chance to never walk in darkness again, is to know him. Not only to know about him, 
but to know what it means to be loved by him, to be accepted by him, to live by the teachings that he instructed us to live by. And both groups of people, they get sidetracked by side issues. And I think, I think we can relate to this. I know I can. It's easy for me to get sidetracked on issues. We, we miss the point. And we go off on some kind of tangent. And we go down a rabbit trail. And we're like, yeah, 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 but what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let me give you some examples of some things that Jesus said. And maybe you've heard these and maybe you haven't. And I hope that you can hear them. Because the things that I'm about to read are things that Jesus actually said. They can be true for your life. And things that Jesus wants us to live by. But sometimes we even hear those things and then we're like, yeah, but. And we have a tangent. We miss the point. So Jesus said things like, come to me. All who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. And maybe you've heard that. And maybe this is the first time you heard that. But I, I know sometimes I hear that Jesus promises me rest and he promises me wholeness and he promises me this, this, this uh, big spiritual gift of like life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but see, here's the thing. I got this problem and I just got to fix it, Jesus. And if I could just like, and, and so that's why we work 60, 80, 90 hours a week because if I could just make a little bit more money and pay off this debt, or if I could just get my business to this one place, if I could just get my, my um, reputation to this certain place, then yeah, I'll come to you, Jesus. I'll come to you. I'll bring that to you, the better version of myself. And he's like, no, 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 stop. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Stop trying to build up your own kingdom, your own image. Just come to me. And I will give you rest. I am the light of the world. But we get sidetracked and we miss the point and we settle for something less. Jesus says this. He says, listen to this. This is hard to hear. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And then everything else you need will be given to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you haven't. But sometimes I hear that. And I'm like, okay, God, I'll seek first your kingdom. But listen, here's the thing. I just, really, I just really need this thing in my life. I need this, I need this, I need this. And he's like, no, no, I said seek first my kingdom. You're seeking your kingdom. You're trying, to, you're trying to build up your kingdom. I'm telling you, seek my kingdom. And we miss the point, and we settle for something less. You see how that works? Why do we miss the point? Well, I told you at the beginning that Jesus teaches something so simple, yet so important. And part of this lesson that he teaches us is the reason why we get sidetracked and the reason why we settle for less. And I want you to hear this because what Jesus is about to say is pretty hardcore. It's pretty harsh. In fact, it's completely politically incorrect. And it's something that makes us go, ooh, you can't say that. You can't say that. This is Jesus. And if Jesus is who I believe he is, God in the flesh, who is the path to eternal life, then I'm pretty, he can say whatever he wants to say and we just need to figure out how to implement that in our lives. But this is what he says. In verse uh, 43, and the question is, why do we get sidetracked? Why do we miss the point? He says this. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Did you catch that? Like this group of people, this actual group of people who's following Jesus, and he calls them out. If you read some of the section, they're like, our father was Abraham. He goes, mm, I'm not sure that Abraham is the father that you're listening to right now. He says, your father is the devil. Ow. 
You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Listen to how he describes the devil. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You want to know why we miss the point sometimes? You want to know why we settle for something less? Really think about this and see if this is true for you, because I found that it's true for me. It's because we begin to listen to the lies of the enemy. And we begin to hear things like, you know what, you don't have to do that. You don't really have to be nice right now. That person's a jerk. They deserve to be cussed out. That person didn't use their turn signal. Give them the finger. Come on. Then they'll learn how to use their turn signal, right? Be a jerk to your spouse. Cheat financially. They didn't give you the correct change back. Eh, their loss, whatever, right? And we hear these little whispers and we start believing these lies that it's okay. And here's the thing. I think that when it comes to like, there's this big spiritual battle that's happening. We talk about it all the time. The reason the light and darkness metaphor works so good is because spiritually that's what's going on. Why do we miss the point? Why do we settle for something less? Because we're so willing to just listen to something that's not true. And it happens in our lives with, uh, with bad things. I mean, I, I won't even get into it, but just think about the things in your life that you know aren't good, the addiction that you might be dealing with, or a secret sin that you're hiding, or, or a temptation that's constantly creeping up. Those things, those specific things we talk about all the time. But, but here's the thing that's sad. The, the devil and his minions don't have to turn us into serial killers to make us dishonor God. In fact, it's actually a lot easier than that. All they have to do is convince us to settle for something less. All they have to do is say, you know what? Instead of putting your hope in Jesus, the light of the world, put your hope in just something else. Put your hope, hope, hope in something else. And, and so these are the kind of things. Maybe you hear Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. But you know what we might hear? Going to church is the light of the world. And anyone who attends church regularly will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You following me? Or maybe we hear, you know what? Being a good person and not cheating on your taxes, is the light of the world. And anyone who is a good person and is honest to their neighbor will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or maybe, you, you know, have a good job, have a good career, and that is the light of the world. Or be a good parent or be a good spouse. And we start to just settle for like lesser things than what God has promised us. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Nothing else is the light of the world, only me. A few years ago, I gave my wife, I got some pictures up here, I'll show you. I gave my wife these pictures, um, and they are uh, shadow silhouettes of my children. This was two years ago, so they're a little older now. And so I gave her these things, and so I took them into a room at our house, and, and my wife didn't know. I was being all secretive, and I shined a bright light on them, and on the wall, there was like the shadow. So I took a picture, and I put it in Photoshop, and, and, I, and I messed with it, and I, and I made these, and I printed them off. And it was, it was like, guys, I hit a home run, okay? Because my wife was like, oh, this is the most beautiful thing. I was like, I spent no money on this. Um, but it's beautiful. It was beautiful, and, and it's cool. And here's the thing. It's cool. It looks like my daughter and my son. And, but you know what this doesn't capture? It, it doesn't capture my, my daughter's smile. I mean, she is up to something all the time, and she's got a great sense of humor. It, it doesn't capture my son's uh, just curiosity and his desire to fix things and build things. It doesn't capture that. It doesn't capture the brightness in his eyes. It's not a photograph. It's a silhouette. It's a shadow of who they are. But here's the thing. It'll do, Right? Like, there was a day where that's about as good as you could get with a photograph. And we've got it hanging in a prominent place in our living room, and every now and then we'll just kind of look at it. I'm like, those are our kids, and they're growing up. And one day they'll be grown, and we'll look back and like, oh, look at those cute little locks. Look at her little nose, right? Now, imagine this, though. I'm in my living room one day, and I'm sitting there just looking at my kids' silhouettes on the wall. 
And my son and my daughter, let's imagine they're sitting on the couch right next to me, and they're doing something that they would never do and say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And I'm looking at the picture on the wall, and they're like, Daddy, come play with us. Daddy, come, let's go outside. Let's throw the football. Let's build something. Let's make some food. Let's talk. Can we read a book? Let's play a game. Let's color. Let's play with Play-Doh. And they're like, Daddy, Daddy. And here I am, and I'm looking at this silhouette on the wall. I'm like, those are my kids up on the wall. Now, how crazy would it be for me to completely ignore my kids who want my attention in favor of something less? These silhouettes that aren't even my kids. Now, they'll do, right? They're a good memory, and they're not a bad thing about it at all. But this is often what happens to us. There are a lot of good things in the world, really good things. Church is one of them. Our friendships are one of them. Your marriage is one of them, hopefully. The school that you go to, the job that you have, hopefully. Nature is beautiful. These are all good things. But it's so easy for us to start to just Put our hope in those things. If I could just make a little more money, if I could just work on my marriage, if I could just get this new job, if I could just get this business open, if I could just get some new shoes or a new phone. And even though those things are good, they're just a shadow of the good promise that Jesus gives. He says, I am the light of the world. And don't miss this. Just like my kids who are sitting on the couch and want my attention, I need to get to know them And you might have seen the shadow of Jesus. Like maybe coming here, you've heard me talk, or someone that you know from church, or someone that you grew up with. You might have seen, like, that's a good person. I want to be like that person. That's a good thing. It shows you some characteristics and some traits about Jesus. But living your life for them or letting that try to fill you, that's like me sitting on a couch staring at the silhouettes of my kids going, I'm a good dad. (laughs) When Jesus is standing there going, child, 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 my child, get to know me. Spend time with me. There's this process that happens when we learn about Jesus. At first we get to see the silhouette of Jesus, and it might be at a church service, and it might be through a good person, and that's when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Go and do good deeds, and so people can see what you do, and then they'll give glory to the Father. And maybe that's just where you are today. I want you to know that at a church, we're not perfect as a person, I'm certainly not perfect. Ask anybody in here who's talked to me for more than 10 minutes. They're like, yeah, guy's probably not perfect. I'm totally not. Nobody in here is. But we're doing our best to point the people we know to Jesus. And so I just want to invite you, maybe this is your first time here, you've just been here a little while, stick around. Come back on some Sunday mornings, even better, get to know some individuals in here. But recognize, we're all just a silhouette. I want to encourage us all to daily take a step to get to know the light of the world. How do you do that? There's a couple of ways. I mean, first way is just to listen, sermons and things like that. But another way is to get into his word. The book of John is a great place to start. We learn a lot about Jesus. And sure, it's Memorial Day weekend. Go out to the beach and be like, thank you, Lord, for the ocean. Or maybe you're like, thank you, Lord, for the air conditioner, whichever one you are. But don't let that replace your ability to get to know God. And so spend time in his word. Spend time praying. There's another thing we're about to do right now. Every week we take a a chance to share a meal together. And around the table there are these, around the room there are these four tables and they've got this little meal. Jesus instituted the meal when he was with his followers before he gave his life uh, and and showed the Pharisees who was boss. And on this table are a little cup of juice and a little cracker. You know what? That's actually a way we can get to know Jesus. Because in going to this table, here's what we're doing. We're saying, God, 
I recognize what you did for me. Jesus sat with his followers and he had a meal with them and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, I'm breaking this bread, but it really represents something else. This is my body, which is being broken for you. And when you come together, like, eat some bread and remember what I've done. This little cup of juice. And he said, look, this juice, they had wine. We use grape juice. He says, this wine, this, this cup, it's my blood and a new, a new covenant. And so when you come together, drink this juice and remember me. Maybe you've taken the steps where you've seen the silhouette of who Jesus is, but you really have decided, I know that I want to live for Jesus. I, I want to encourage you. Go to this table in just a second when we go and say, God, help me know you more every day. Thank you for the sacrifice that you gave. When we do this, if uh, you, know, you don't want to go to the table or you're just trying to find yourself spiritually, I, I just want to encourage you, stay right where you are. This is a great time to just reflect on that and ask yourself, man, where, where do I stand? on the Jesus thing. We're going to talk about him. This series is going to be seven weeks long, and we talk about Jesus every single week, every Sunday of the year. We come back and be a part of that. I'd like to just uh, have a prayer for us right now. God, you're good. Thank, us, thank you for showing us your light. Thank you for showing us uh, your goodness and giving us a way back to you. God, as we, um, as we learn to know you, help us to trust you. Help us to take one more step with you every day. Help us to move from discovering you to loving you, to knowing you. And then help us to be that silhouette for someone else to see your goodness. Thank you for coming into the world as the light of the world. And thank you for giving us the option of never having to walk in darkness again. Just help us to never settle for less than your glory. Thank you for the opportunity. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.